The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson, and I am the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who is the Dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here today. Well, we're in the midst of a very exciting series. I believe this is the fourth year of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. How are things going so far? That's correct. It is our fourth year. We have had a fabulous year so far. We began with Deborah Platt-Majoris, the chairman of the Federal Trade Commission. And then today, you'll be hearing an interview from Andy Bird, president of Walt Disney International. So a great start to what's going to be a wonderful series this yeah, year. A very a terrific and exciting lineup. But tell us a little bit about Andy Bird. Well, Andy is the president of Walt Disney International, and he's responsible for their business unit leaders around the world and really oversees all of their growth opportunities outside of the United States. He has a really great background. Prior to that, he was at Time Warner and actually also was with Turner Entertainment Networks before that. So it was a fascinating discussion. I know our listeners will be interested to hear what he has to say. Well, with that, let me invite our listeners to sit back and enjoy this interview with Andy Bird. It's a pleasure today to have with us for our podcast uh, the president of Walt Disney International, Andy Bird. And Andy, you are actually our second speaker in this year's uh, Dean's Executive Leadership Series, and so our second podcast of the year. So welcome. We're glad to have you with us. It's great to be here. Well, and you come in a line of Disney individuals who have been a part of this uh, over the last several years. We started with Ann Sweeney a couple of years ago, who, of course, is the president of Disney ABC Television. And then last year, Brian Franz, who's the head of daytime TV at uh, ABC was with us. So we appreciate all the support from Disney that we've gotten in this series. Uh, I don't know what that means. It either means that we're popular or we've got too much time on our hands. <laughs> I think it's popular. Oh, we always I'd have great crowds like for, so. <laughs> for our Disney folks. Well, what I want to begin with is to let you give our listeners a bit of an overview of what Walt Disney International is. Of course, in Southern California, we're so familiar with the theme parks and the TV side of it and everything. But tell us a little bit about what you do on the international side of Walt Disney. Well, Disney, as you know, is a, is a um, worldwide brand, and we're a worldwide company. And we're very fortunate that the brand has very high recognition in over 200 countries. In fact, we do business in over 200 countries around the world. And whereas in the U.S. we're dealing with one uh, homogeneous marketplace um, where our brands, all of our brands and all of our businesses are very, very well known, as we look uh, into international territories, um, the depth of some of our businesses is penetrated at different levels and some of our um, businesses are very nascent in their development. And there's a lot of different um, issues to deal with in terms of language and culture and geographies. And so uh, my role is sort of to take a, an overview of all the activities that the Walt Disney Company is doing outside of the U.S. and Canada and really help and work with the lines of business um, to develop strategies for growth, market entry strategies, to be looking at the long-term picture as to how we build the Disney Company and the Disney brand on a territory-by-territory basis. So let's talk about that a little bit because there are, as you said, there's different levels of penetration in different markets. So let's talk about maybe a couple of different, fairly different kinds of markets. So let's start with Europe, probably more traditional. You've been there longer. Uh, we've always heard lots of stories about, you know, the the 
park in in France. But so, what are you doing in a place like Europe in terms of penetration and dealing with sort of culture and and the business practices there versus say uh, the the newer markets like in China and India that are such large markets, such great potential, but probably very different for you all to deal with than say in a European market. So, talk a little bit about that and what sort of the opportunities and challenges are in those different kinds of settings. That that that's that those two contrasts, those two geographical areas of a very good contrast because, as you rightly say, we've been present in Europe for, for a very long time. In fact, Walt drew a lot of his inspiration for the early movies from European fairy tales and European literature. He was a frequent visitor to, to Europe along with the, the, the original animation group of animators. Um, and so not only are our stories, but the Disney brand is very, very well known and has a very rich and long heritage and and that has helped in the development of our businesses there and as you rightly say um, the vast majority of our businesses in fact every single line of business that we operate in has a presence in our, the European marketplace and our our role there is really to build on the foundation of the present um, that we the, the present the the, the market uh, presence that we have um, very importantly in a market like um, Europe, is take advantage of the changes in technology, um, whether it's new platforms, um, new means of delivery um, for our content, um, whether that be in the form of video content or film um, uh, content, but also in, in terms of what we're doing now in the gaming space, the mobile space, uh, what we're doing in some of our consumer products areas, is really taking advantage of uh, the the advances in technology in in a, in a relatively developed collection of uh, of markets, certainly the the the, the, the big um, uh, five markets in Western Europe. As we move out into to, to Russia and Central Eastern Europe, we find lots of opportunity there where to to start building uh, building uh, the the brand and allowing it to grow. If you contrast that with um, Asia, and you can pick either really India or China or or Korea, or, or any of those um, Asian markets. We're very fortunate on the one hand that the Disney brand is very well known. As I, as I mentioned before, you know, I think in the last Interbrand study, the Disney brand ranked sixth or seventh. We're normally around that. And, and of course, the number one um, entertainment brand by, by some way. So wherever I go and I get my business card out and I, I show my business card and it has Mickey, and they go, ah, oh, Disney and, Mickey, and Mickey, Mickey is Mouse. Mickey but but um, or Mila Shu, as Mickey is referred to in in, in China, uh, that's Mickey's Chinese name. Oh, that's great. Um, but uh, what we find the big difference, say, between the European consumer and the the emerging markets consumer, the Asian consumer, whether that be India, China, as I, I mentioned, is whilst they the the recognition of the Disney brand and some of our characters is is very high, the amount of depth that the brand has. Is not that is is not there to the same extent as it is in Europe, and so there our job is very much about allowing our our consumers to to really understand the the meaning of the Disney brand and the stories and the storytelling that is is sort of forms the the, the foundation of Disney in the U.S. Or, or or in Western Europe. Because those of us that grew up here have been hearing those stories and those legends for years, as, since as young as we can remember. And I guess you don't have that in a country like China or India, where many of the people there didn't grow up. 
yes. with those stories and those movies and those shows. Yeah, Disney is very much, I call it, an experiential brand. Right. And by that I mean as you grow up as a child, take here in the U.S. and California, perfect example, you are surrounded by so many opportunities to experience the, the Disney brand in so many different ways, through movies, now through DVDs, of course, Disneyland for over 50 years in, in, in Anaheim. The wonderful order of Disney used to be on Sunday nights on television. I remember watching now that every Sunday night. Now, now the, the power of Disney Channel and you know, high school music, Hannah Montana uh-huh. and everything. Um, so that's, that's there and that kind of becomes ingrained in you as a child and as you grow up to become a, a parent and you have children of your own, of course you want your children to have the same experiences with Disney that, that you had when you were a child. Now, if those elements weren't available when you were growing up as a child, which in Asia and in many parts, actually in many parts of Europe, you know, you'd mentioned the park in Paris, but that's only 15 years that's old. That's right, it's very new. So relatively speaking, it, it's, it's, when you're looking in multi-generational terms, it's, it's relatively new. Um, so that's, it gives us a great deal of work to do in terms of getting our stories over to consumers, but also gives us a great deal of optimism in terms of op- uh, opportunities to grow our brand and, and, and uh, our businesses in, in international markets. Well, you just mentioned in that, uh, uh, those remarks about high school musical and Hannah Montana, and I know you have boys that are 11 and 12, and I have an 11-year-old daughter. Your boys probably aren't quite as much into high school musical and Hannah Montana as my 11-year-old daughter. High is. school musical, yes. Hannah not, less. Hannah, not so yeah. much. But we spent a lot of time at my house watching uh, the Disney Channel, and those two in particular, and those are amazing Disney phenomenons that – uh, I, I expect in some ways probably out are outperforming what Disney ever would have hoped that they would do. How do you take that sort of amazing success uh, that has grown here and translate that globally with those kinds of <clears throat> experiences and brands that are being created? And are those being responded to in the same way globally as they are domestically? That's a great point. And, and- the best way to answer that question is to, to go back historically and look at the type of business Disney was in up until quite recently. And that was primarily, like many of the other studios, was an export business. The IP, you know, if you think fundamentally we're in the, in the business of IP creation, whether that be a television program or a, a movie or even a theme park attraction, the, the center of that IP creation was Los Angeles, was Burbank or Glendale, California. And for decades, we, as along with the other studios, have, have created an export model of uh, exporting our Hollywood movies and television series. And that has been very successful on one level, but, but if we're to achieve this, the level of success we're just talking about in terms of how the brand resonates with an American audience in, in other parts of the world, we need to make the Disney brand, the Disney stories and Disney characters as locally relevant to the local audience that we talk to um, as we possibly can, and that we can do that two ways: one by creating new disney branded local content which we 're doing, and the second, which is really exciting and in fact high school musical is is probably the the, the first large scale example of this is, is is really taking it and adopting it for local tastes and so we 've done um, a, a, a very, very good project in Latin America in Mexico, Brazil, Argentina and I think Chile as well, where we're creating a completely local version of High School Musical. Interesting. Uh, we, and it's going to be a local movie version. So we're calling it 
sort of a high school musical two and a half in between the, the high school <laughs> musical two and then the, the theatrical version of high school right. musical three, which is going to come out uh, uh, later next year. Um, and in order to cast the lead roles in, in that movie in, in Latin America, in each of the countries, we've held an American Idol type talent search. Oh, what fun! Which has been phenomenal. Which has then been broadcast with our local broadcast partners um, and whittling down to find the Troy and the Gabriella. Right. And so you're building interest long before the product is actually Absolutely. on the market. Absolutely, yeah. and 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 also creating what I like to call an emotional resonance. Disney Disney's a very emotional brand. And it works when it makes you laugh, smile, cry, feel special. And, and, and we need to create opportunities to do that um, with product that is, would originally just have been created here in the U.S. and then purely exported. Now we can, we can capitalize on um, these uh, global phenomenon and um, uh, look to, to localize and make it more locally relevant. And we're looking, by the way, to do the same with High School Musical in other markets around the world and also with Hannah Montana. I'll be looking forward to seeing those. It uh, probably means my daughter will think we need to go to one of these places and, and see it in its she own uh, in its own environment. Um, you talked about intellectual property. That that's sort of at the heart of what you're doing. And clearly when you start dealing with intellectual property on a global basis, there's some real challenges there because different cultures view intellectual property in different ways. So how are you dealing with that at Disney as you operate in countries around the world, some of which honor intellectual property rights and others where that's not so much of a part of the, the culture and, the, and really the law even in those countries? Mm, I think our view is um, that you, have to, you can't rely on defensive tactics alone. You have to have an offensive strategy as well as a defensive strategy. Um, encouraging governments who, who, who really are the, are, the, are the main bodies. If you get a government behind uh, anti-piracy strategy or legislation, it helps enormously. Um, uh, we, we're very, very vigorous in, in, in trying to encourage that and, and find generally that, that there is a will to, 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 to do that. Um, but at the same time, it's it's very very important that we make our product available in the devices and in in the technological means that the consumers demanding. Um, the consumers are now demanding product in a, in a number of different ways. That's why, as a company, we've been so aggressive, embracing platforms such as the iTunes platform, which is now rolling out with with, with our television programs and our movies around the world, um, other broadband and online and mobile phone. Um, operators in Korea, in Japan now, we're, we're, we're um, selling our movies and our TV programs so that you can watch them in digital quality on, on a mobile phone because their technology is just so much more advanced right. than, than it is here in the U.S. And so it's, a two, it's always a two-pronged strategy. You know, one is discouraging, wherever possible, the illegal um, uh, use of or, or, or theft, as it were, of, of, of IP, and at the same time on the offensive, proactive uh, means trying to make it as available in the in the right language and at the right time and on the right device, so that it encourages legal right. take up of the, of, Just, of the property. There's less reason to pirate if you're doing it as in as uh, proactive a way as you can. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. When you were first describing what you do at uh, Disney International, you were talking about how you really coordinate across all of the business units of Disney to take what they're creating and do it appropriately in these other cultural contexts. So 
I would be interested in hearing you talk a bit about sort of the uh, how you do that effectively because you're talking about different business units that have you know different kinds of products, different markets that they're targeting. Are there any things that have worked particularly well for you just internally within Disney to to bring about that coordination that allows you to take to market in different countries all of the different products that come out of the different business units of Disney? I think there are two things that, that you have to do. And, and, and a lot of what I sort of say, you know, underneath my title should be sort of in, in parentheses, you know, agent of change or change uh-huh. agent or something <laughs> like that. Because I'm, I, I spend a lot of my time also being a protagonist. Right. I'm sure you trying do. Trying to change uh-huh. the ways, particularly the philosophy and the mindset of the, 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 mm-hmm. the, old, the, the, the old traditional way mm-hmm. the company would operate in terms of moving it to the new way. Um, the other, the other thing that I think is very important is clarity and communication, uh, clarity of purpose and, and the communication of exactly what um, objectives and strategy we're setting out to achieve. And the way we interact with the lines of business is, is, is broadly speaking, along the following lines: we have six main businesses, and they focus on product and P and L. So the studio, ESPN business, the, the Disney Channel business. And, and ABC business, the, the uh, consumer products, inter- internet and parks and resorts business. Now, in international markets, each of those may be penetrated at a different um, uh, uh, rate, as I, as I was mentioning uh, earlier. And so where, whereas they focus very much on product and P&L, that's sort of how I define broadly how our business is. They're, they're looking at the next movie release, the next television series on Disney Channel, the next DVD release or, or the latest um, deal with apparel with Walmart or, or one of the, the Carrefour or, or something like that. What I'm doing is taking a much broader perspective, view, overview of, of all of these different businesses in a particular territory, seeing where there's gaps, where we could maybe we think we're underpenetrated, and maybe think where there's opportunities for us to get into a, maybe a new business. Uh, so I'm taking a much more broader view, and I'm also taking a longer-term view, whereas our businesses are looking really on a zero- to five-year time horizon. I'm looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years down, down the road as to where we really need the Walt Disney Company to be and Disney the brand to be in any one particular market. And what's fantastic and fascinating about my job also is every single market's different. So what works in market A is not going to work in market B. And so it's like creating a series of mosaics and having or, or jigsaw puzzles and having all these different pieces. And that's a beautiful beauty of, of the Walt Disney Company. We have lots of different businesses that we can we can pull many different strings or levers we can pull dependent upon the market conditions and i'm trying to work this jigsaw out with with uh, working in in partnership with each of the businesses to 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 work out what we need to do today for for the benefit of the company down the road a challenging but interesting and exciting opportunity to try to pull that all together and make it work especially when your time frame for dealing with it is different than those that you're working with. Yes, on a and, and, and basis. the pressures of, of um, you know, it leads to it leads to conflict, and it leads to to a lot of internal pressures because we have very very talented individuals running all of our businesses, not just on a global level, but on uh, regional and country levels. And they are, uh, as a company, public company, we report, and they are held to budgets and 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 you know publicly reported numbers on a quarterly basis so there are pressures of any business on 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 that and so in order for me to be effective and my team to be effective 
there really needs to be a very clear and coherent strategy communicated to everyone. So I actually find myself doing a lot of going out on the road. There's nothing that beats sort of, you know, pressing the flesh and getting out there and actually just communicating. Um, and, and also, I found um, it, it's really beneficial to, to really be very clear in defining what we do and the people, my, my, myself and my group does, mm -hmm. versus what the lines of business do. And for them to understand, I sometimes refer to, um, uh, you know, because I, I have a corporate role and I, I, I'm very clear. I'm a bit like the, the maitre d' at a restaurant. And I, once a year I come round to all the businesses and I present the bill and uh -huh. I say, well, I hope here it is. <laughs> I know you're not going to like the bill, but I hope, I hope we've done a good job. It, exactly. Yeah. And, and also, we're a little bit like Switzerland. Because I make, you know, and, and I have the integrity and the, and, and the, the welfare of the company at my, at my heart. So if I come to you and I say, you know what, I really think it, you should either leave some money on the table or we should do this deal this way or we should do some, invest here. They know that I'm doing that for the greater good of the company and over the long term through, through you know, swings and roundabouts, you know, what they give up here, they're going to probably get back there and, and you know, because we're all shareholders in the, in the company ourselves, that it's, it's, it's going to work and be a, for, the, for the good of the company as a whole. Kind of a question related to that. You have been at Disney about four years yeah. now, and you were at Time Warner before that for a number of years. Mm -hmm. So you came in from outside, but yet the role that you're in is just really critically important that the people that you work with trust you and believe that you have their best interest at heart. How did you go about building those relationships in sort of short order, given that you weren't um, you know, an insider in the company who didn't have those relationships previously. Um, how did you go about doing that so that you could very quickly begin to get accomplished some of what you need to, given how important the trust and the coordination, the collaboration is in your role? Mm. I think actually coming in as an outsider was an advantage. And actually, um, I was hired in by Bob Iger, right. um, who he he was the the, the first president of Disney International. Back in '99, he so he, he has a great uh, said, depth he, of knowledge about what you do. He has a great depth of knowledge and a vested interest, <laughs> right, sure. in it. Um, and we talked about this during the hiring process. And actually, you know, very much view the fact that I came into the company as a, as an outsider as I wasn't coming in with any, I wasn't carrying any baggage. I, I wasn't coming from a perceived view of a studio view or a television view or a consumer products view or or any a parks and resorts view or anything anything like that. And then when, once I joined, I, I find it's re, a very undervalued resource is just listening. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing more than I, you know, there's a lot you can do by just listening and observing. And still, when I travel the world, I find time to just go out and sit somewhere. It can be a railway station in London or in England. It used to be in a pub. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, as I go around the world, uh, and just watch and observe and see how people interact and react. And you don't even have to understand the language. You can garner so much information and just go walk about and go see, see the, the, try and get a, a sense of, of, of what's going on and just listen get lots of different points of view. And then, as I say, have a very clear agenda and very um, communicate quite clearly, plus help having a, a clearly defined strategy um, from Bob 
in terms of, you know, the company has three priorities, creativity, technology, and international. So, so that helped, and that is constantly reinforced. And there is a, a genuine understanding and willingness amongst our, all of our cast members I mean, and employees that, that, that they now understand why we need to grow and what we're trying to do in terms of uh, expanding our international business. Change tracks just a little bit. Obviously, a real hot issue right now in the L.A. area is the writer's strike. And my question here, this may or may not have great impact on you, but I really it's interesting to think about that's certainly an immediate thing here in L.A., but what kind of impact does an action like that by writers have on you from an international perspective? Is there any immediate impact or is it a longer-term impact? Or is it something that really isn't of great concern to you in, in what you do on a regular basis? I'm, I don't touch it on a, on a regular basis, and I can't t- talk to the um, – because I haven't been anywhere near sure. because it's a domestic right. um, uh, You're probably issue. thankful for that, that you haven't um, had to deal with that one. <laughs> in some ways, but I think no one you know, likes to, to, to see anyone striking right. anywhere. It's an and, unfortunate and It's a very unfortunate set of circumstances, and, and I think it's in day two of, yes, of, it started of, yesterday. of the action. So I think it's very early to mm-hmm. say how that would impact. I do know a lot of the – the, the studios have have a fair amount of product already shot and in process, but but it doesn't really touch my business or what we're trying to do internationally um, uh, that directly. As we kind of uh, bring to conclusion our discussion in the uh, podcast. What you do is certainly very embedded in the entertainment industry, although it's very broad-based in the entertainment industry. But as you think about kind of your experience internationally, and you have much international experience even before coming to Disney, you know, are there kind of two or three takeaways from that that you think are sort of broadly applicable to people operating internationally and running businesses that have global components outside of entertainment that would be sort of um, globally applicable to all kinds of businesses, just based on your many years of experience um, in the international side of the entertainment business? I think the number one rule I've always I, I, uh, sort of espouse to, to people is you can never underestimate the value of respect and common courtesy and manners, especially when you're traveling to foreign climes where there may be many different cultures. And that married with the ability to listen Gets you a long way, regardless in where you're going, and 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 also having an open mind, in terms of you know just because you do it this way and have done it this way for many many years in country X doesn't mean that it's going to work in country Y, and the 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 ability to be flexible and the ability to adapt I think is very important. And secondly, uh, and thirdly, then is 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 communication, mm-hmm. communicating both locally. To, to your partners to, and also to the people who work for you in a, in a particular market and then ensuring that the communication process from because many of these markets are thousands of miles away and several, you know, halfway around the world in terms of time zones from, from Los Angeles or wherever you happen to be based, making sure not only that the message is very clear in the market and these people know exactly what they should be doing and, 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 and also get to understand the business culture that you, you, you're trying to, 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 to bestow on them, but also that the communication process is very clear back so that the people here understand. Because many times it's ignorance from the people here, uh, uh, very, talking very generally, that, that stymies and stifles expansion into the great unknown because ignorance breeds fear. 
So listening, respect, adaptability, and communication. There you go. That's four. Those are great. Well, those are you good ones. One. Those are great <laughs> ones. I like that. And uh, probably good things for us to to instill in our students as we put them through our various degree programs and everything. Well, it has been such a pleasure visiting with you, Andy. I know I've learned a lot from this, and I'm certainly sure that our listeners will have as well. So thank you for joining us uh, for the Dean's Executive Leadership Series and for this podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks. Well, that concludes our interview with Andy Bird. Linda, what a terrific uh, interview with him. It was fascinating. Of course, Disney is such an amazing international company, and they're involved in so many different aspects of the entertainment world. So it was really uh, an interesting discussion to hear all that Disney's doing worldwide and to hear Andy talk about what he sees as the challenges and opportunities around the world for entertainment in the years ahead. Oh, very good. Well, thank you so much for that. Tell us a little bit about uh, who is next in the series. We are going to be having Bruce Rosenblum with us, president of Warner Brothers Television Group. He actually speaks on the Malibu campus on Tuesday, January 22nd. But we will also have a podcast uh, interview with Bruce uh, coming up along with that presentation. Well, that's terrific. Uh, Let me thank you and our listeners for tuning in to this edition of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Let me also invite our listeners to visit us at our website at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash Dells, that's D-E-L-S. Thank you for listening. Facing real business challenges head-on is what Pepperdine University's fully employed real-world MBA program is all about. Rhonda Hofarth, Chief Operating Officer, Ironclad Incorporated. Even though Ironclad has sold millions of high-performance work gloves worldwide, there are times even we could use a helping hand. That's where the MBA students at Pepperdine come in. From grassroots startups to large corporations, Pepperdine's partner companies provide students with hands-on experience in solving actual live business cases. These Pepperdine MBA students are also working professionals, and they consistently provide our company with innovative ideas, impressive research data, and an excellent potential employment pool. Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management, where the real world of business is mastered. To learn more, call 1-800-933-3333. That's 1-800-933-3333.